Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, a Mitrap podcast. How you doing this week, Mike? All right, all right. We're back at school. First week already done, so I'm making time for the podcast, but Chris, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if the editing is going to be as crisp <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> Well, that just means we need to have less edits. There we go. We 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 we're we're up to episode next. This episode seventy four. So the mm-hmm. next one will be seventy five. I think you know we should we should have this down pat by now. So I think we do. I think we're in a groove. I think you're right. We're in a groove. We got so. less ums. Yeah. I think we got it down. Uh, I uh, that means I have to pick up the weight. So um, <laughs> pick up the slack. Not with the editing. I I don't know how to do that stuff. But uh, with the preparations and everything and booking guests. Prepping so the notes. I'll. I'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll make sure I step up. You know, I moved in, like we mentioned last time, and you're settled are, now. Yeah. Things are settling down a, a little bit. I still have like stuff to do, but um, you know, it's it's going. Well, I'll still be the quote guy. I'll keep the quotes. Always coming. is it? You bring the quotes. You bring the little snippets, and and I'll take care of everything else. So you bring the analysis. You bring you know the topics. You crush that. So. We have some updates in uh, the trap world. Uh, did you see the posting of the little audiobook snippet? Right. The George, George, Goodell, George Goodell teaser. A full hour and a half, it looked like, of Enemy at the Gates audiobook. Yeah, that, that. that was like the link for that. But then like they on Instagram, I think they just had like a minute of um, a conversation with uh, the president. And uh, I'm not going to say the character's name, but you can go and, 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 and listen to it if, if you guys want. Um, I just, I, I love listening to George Goodell, man. He's so good. He oh, is yeah. so good. Although it's weird oh. because I never listen to him. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a weirdo. You're, you're even more weirdo than I am. Uh, I listen to all my podcasts at a minimum of 1.5, but I listen to my audiobooks, especially ones that I've already read that I'm just rereading to, to get the notes. I listen to them at like at two or, or one double speed seven five. Yeah. yeah. Right. So listening to him on Instagram where it's one X it's like wow it's very slow but I'm, yeah. my mind is just i know what his voice is and i know when he's reading these things how fast my, i think he goes and it's probably how fast normal people think he goes but yeah it's just it's so weird how it like right. i know his voice so it, it's it's slowed down but anyways he's he's the man he's he's the g he, he does found sound very different on normal speed because that caught me off guard too very methodical mm, yes very melodious and in the double speed i'm just Hit me with the action. You know, give me the story. So, yeah, it did sound very different. Man, I, I want Enemy at the Gates as a full audiobook. I oh, have yeah. the ARC, you know, the reader advanced reader's copy, but I can't wait. I'm going to pick up the audiobook as well because you got to have me some George Goodell. Of course. Yep. Yeah, that was good. That was good. And with that announcement and yes. in the most recent newsletter, we found out the virtual book tour has been set. Yes, it has. We've got three dates. Kyle will be hitting the circuit. And let's take a look. So we got September 13th. That's the day before publication. Kyle will be virtually from Spain premiering with The Poison Pen, independent booksellers out of Scottsdale, Arizona at 4 p.m. Eastern time. With Barbara Peters, the bookstore owner. She's been around on, on the book tours with uh, a few authors. I remember, what was it? He was there with Brad Thor at 
and her like last year, right? That, right, that the, the three of them pen, were the three together. Of them. Yeah, 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 right. That was the Poison Pen event, I think. Yep, and they're on Facebook Live, so you can find that KyleMills.com on his most recent blog post. Then we've got September 14th, Publication Day, 7 p.m. Eastern. Well, guess where this is? Minneapolis. you got to go back to the roots of Vince Flynn, Once Upon a Crime, independent booksellers hosting a conversation with Ryan Steck, the real book spy. The real book spy. I like seeing that. Yeah. The next one, and there's not a lot of details here, but it will be September 22nd. So hopefully... After a few of you have read the book, one week after the publication date, September 22nd in Savannah, Georgia, 6 p.m. Eastern. And, of course, I'm giving you locations, but all the events are virtual, virtual. and you can register. Get the links at kylemills.com. Yeah, I don't think he's coming back from Spain, (laughs) you know, to hit up Minneapolis, Georgia, and uh, Arizona. Yeah, no. Uh, I remember what I was going to say. It's like, I can't believe it's two weeks away. Like, we're... You know, we're recording this on August 31st, so, but when you're hearing this, it's even, even closer. Like, it's just, it's already here. Um, right. The summer's already over. We were just, I remember we were doing a pod and we were talking about all the books we were getting excited for this summer. And now, right. And like the last one was, was this one. And now it's here. It's, it's gone by fast. What was on our list? Because I did finish Razorblade Tears. Yeah. That was one of Sean. Black yeah. Ice. Sean Cosby. I didn't get to Black Ice, did you? I have not gotten to Black Ice. I've just been inundated with, with this pod. If, and, and, then work I, and, life. and work and life. And then, you know, I was reading some other books. Um, so I have not gotten to that. But yeah, I, I bought I don't it. I know why. The last few Brad Thor books I read after the Kyle Mills books, even though they come out they like come two out or earlier. months earlier. I've done this with the last few. I don't know but why. Was it because we started this podcast? Probably. <laughs> you know what? That is 100% the reason. <laughs> yeah, but Razorblade Tears was good, man. Although a lot of people are saying it's their favorite book and, you know, it as good as Blacktop Wasteland was by, by Sean, by S.A. Cosby. They say this one's better. This one was great, right? And it was a very compelling story for modern day and what we need. But Razorblade Tears, man, I like that one so much more. You mean that Blacktop? Book was just, you mean Blacktop? Oh, Blacktop. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, Blacktop Wasteland. I like Blacktop so much more. Razorblade Tears is great. I recommend you read it. But, man, he came right out of the gates with his first book, Blacktop Wasteland, which for me is just one of my favorite thrillers. So Maybe we can get him back on the pod. That'd be fun. He was yeah, fun, great, to fun be, great to have Sean back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, what else is going on in the world of mid- – oh, by the time you hear this, we'll have already had our patron hangout, though it didn't happen yet at the time of recording. You looking forward to Thursday, Chris? I'm I'm very looking forward to Thursday, and so we'll we'll have to give you the update on on how that went uh, in the next episode, which will be yeah uh, this our first Survivor episode. So we're doing the Survivor um, part one, two, and then obviously we have we have some pretty good uh, bonus pods for for the Survivor. Um, definitely want to. You know, talk about Stan Hurley, his last book. Right, um, right. And actually, technically, this is Vince's last book. Um, right. You know, even though The Last Man is Vince's last full book. Full uh, book. He wrote, uh, and we've talked about with this with Kyle, he's, he wrote like three or four pages. And so, a couple of pages, yeah. I, I want to see if we can pick out, right. you know, if, if 
you know, if they left it or if they, you know, sort of if Kyle rewrote it or if we could see like more bends or if there's actually no no transition at all. So that'd be a fun exercise. I mean, I'm pretty much halfway through on the reread, getting my notes ready for us next week. And I couldn't find it. I was trying to think like, okay, at first I thought like chapters, like which chapter is are the Vince, you know, pages in. And then I was like, okay, which scene is it? And then I was trying to figure out like paragraph by paragraph, where might Vince's writing end and Kyle's begin? Dude, it's seamless. It's absolutely a seamless transition. That's what I remember. Kyle did the legwork. Yeah, he, he, oh, I can't wait. He got it right. But yeah, I'd be really curious, you know, if, if someone out there in the Mitch Rap verse, whether it's, you know, David or Ryan or Kyle himself, you know, when we have him back on can tell us more pointedly what scene Vince wrote and which page and, and, you know, what was Vince's last sentence? I have an idea because if he, mm-hmm. I don't think it's like the first five pages because that's not how Vince wrote, right? He, I don't, yeah, I don't think so, but I'm thinking it's, he's a survivor. Mm. Cause that line is so powerful, so powerful and gives the title to the book. Right. And imagine, right. and Kyle would pick up on that being Vince's last written word. Right. In the series and make it the title. Mm. I don't yeah. know for sure, but super powerful if that if that's it. Anyways, that's a snippet for what's to come on the next two pods. Um, but we have a, a great pod for you today. So, Mike, you want to tell them? Do a little role reversal. How about, how about you tell them what, uh, what's on today's pod? I was going to say that that's usually your job, but uh, <laughs> that's like the time we switched up the intro. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I said the intro. That that, that, one, that episode right. wasn't wasn't listened to that much, so maybe they didn't like it. Yeah, it, it didn't feel right. Let me tell you that. Yeah, well, last week we did something a little different with a character analysis. You know, McReavers, Hackett, and Strobel. We're gonna keep those coming at you as we lose characters. But this week we have something totally different. So if that was a little bit different, this week is something completely different. We brought on two friends of the podcast two of our social media acquaintances, and they run their own podcast, The Self-Defense Channel, which in fact is more than a podcast. There's a whole self-defense network they have, including classes, virtual offerings, lots of online resources and articles all about the world of self-defense. And so we thought, let's bring them on, have a chat about their platform, and see what connections we can make to Mitch Rapp and what he does. And so we talked about, you know, what would Mitch Rapp do in a bunch of situations? And then they kind of filled in, what would the average person do? What would they teach, you know, a a Joe Schmo like you or I to defend ourselves if we didn't have the skill set of a Rapp or a Coleman? Well, and and Greg is a a super fan, so, or, you know, he's read all the books. He he loves the Mitch Rapp universe. So it was nice to talk to, you know, Greg's a big Big Mitch Rap fan. Doc has read a few, and Greg and, and all of us are trying to get Doc to read a couple more. But uh, yeah, we looked at the connections between Mitch Rap and the real world of self-defense instructors trying to give people the skills. All right, so uh, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Something a little bit different, a little eccentric, and uh, that's that. <laughs> I'm not good at this, Chris. You, This is your job here. <laughs> you just say... Yeah, well, we hope you just enjoy this episode. We hope you just enjoy this interview. <laughs> there you go. You got it. With a little pizzazz. A little pizzazz. A little pizzazz. 
an old school guy in terms of the genre. I actually I learned about Mitch Rapp through Greg. I okay. hadn't I hadn't read any of them. And Greg and I started this back when in November. Yeah, uh, November last year. Um, so I'm an old school guy. Like when I was growing up, I read Graham Greene and Eric Ambler and Le Carre. Uh, so, you know, these are like the legends, you know, it's like Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, yeah. you know. Right, um, right. So I read those guys. And then I I think the last good one, I, uh, amazing book I read um, was The Fifth Horseman. I, I read that on my doctoral program. And it was so good that I just stayed in bed for three days huh. under the covers, you know, and, and read that. But then I was kind of out of the genre for a long time. Um, and so, um, yeah, so Greg actually turned me on the genre. In terms of martial arts. Um, Barr, Mark Graney. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, the new yeah, ones. Yeah, he turned me on all those. Okay. But, uh, yeah, like in terms of martial arts, you know, we don't have time because it's your show. You know, I shouldn't be talking about it. You know, I did judo. I did boxing. I was a little 13-year-old, you know, 100-pound kid with a Stanford boxing team. You know, I trained with them. And, you know, I, I did a keto, Ishinru, Shotokan, Kiyokoshin Kai. I don't talk about it anymore. I did Tai Chi for 41 years, if you can believe wow. that. And then I got into the king. Um, so uh, so I'm loving the yeah, king. Yeah, I saw that on your website. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I got into the king thing, and and uh, I'm really enjoying that. But, you know, basically, I'd I rather be the bearded, pot-bellied sage, you know, just you know, spouting, <laughs> uh, spouting profound wisdom, you know. You're the wise one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, I like that. I like that role a little better. The you know, sage. Tell a few stories here and there, you know, but, uh, yeah, so. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, we, I want to keep all this. So let's just yeah. uh, let's, let's, let's invite you guys in. Um, we're excited this week to invite the self-defense channel guys. So you, if you could just introduce yourself, uh, we, we, we sort of just started rolling with great content. So yeah, just go ahead and introduce you guys, guys to our listeners. This is Greg Pasden. I am from the Ohio area, uh, 22 years in the military flying fighters and then heavy jets. And then after that, I retired after 22 years, went back into flying. I'm now a world traveler and I teach self-defense. I teach reality-based self-defense using your hands, improvised tools, as well as firearms. I want that job, uh, a world traveler. (laughs) That's a lot of fun. We'll talk more about that later on. (laughs) Sounds good. And Doc, tell us about you. Yeah, well, I don't have Greg's credentials there. World traveler, yes. I went all over the world when I was 19, above the polar circle, Istanbul, Jerusalem, Moscow, Kiev at the height of the Cold War, 23 countries, wanted to be the next Jack London. Um, and uh, now I'm just your mild-mannered, retired professor, uh, but I also do American Cane Self-Defense California. So uh, that's uh, a little bit uh, a little bit about uh my background there. And uh, I just met Greg, who actually look at his visage right now. And after the show, I want you to Google the sweet smell of success, which uh, where Burt Lancaster should have gotten the Academy Award. And he looks exactly <laughs> like J.J. Hunsaker. Look at that face. And then you, you. OK, so uh, anyway, so when I first saw Greg, I thought, hey, you remind me of my favorite actor, Burt Lancaster, you know, and I sent him the clip. And that's actually how we met. And then I uh, read his book and then he wanted to do the. the he he does. Yeah. I just Googled it. He, he does. I know. I know. Isn't that so great? Yeah. And um, yeah. especially with the haircut you have right now. Yeah, he's J.J. Uh, Huntsaker. Yeah. We did yeah, say Doc so. is the wise one of the group. So he's just dropping <laughs> wisdom. Go. I'll take it. I'll take it, guys. Yeah. 
Well, tell us a little bit more about your podcast because we came across you guys when Kyle Mills came on your show. And this month on our podcast, we're transitioning from Vince Flynn to Kyle Mills and his first book, The Survivor. So I found out about you that way. But can you tell us uh, how others find your podcast? Who are your typical clients or audience who listen? And how did the Self-Defense Channel get started? Believe it or not, I was actually sitting at dinner with the the spy master, Keith Melton. I don't know if you know who Keith Melton is. Mm. Keith Melton is the guy who founded the International Spy Museum. Oh. And they built the Smithsonian Institute built it for him. So if you're in huh. DC, you yeah, we've been there. there. Yeah, it's a great museum. I didn't see the new one though. Yeah, they just moved to a new building. I didn't get to see yet though. Yes, they built that new building to house Keith's collection. Wow. I'm sitting there with uh, Keith and Joe, and we're talking, and Joe says, hey, Keith, Greg's thinking about starting his own podcast. Because Not only does Keith um, have the world's largest private collection of espionage gear, but the thing is also, he is also the creative director for the show The Americans. Oh, great show. Great show. And uh, what is it? Friday the 13th or something like that. Uh, Orange County Choppers, Dolphin's Tale. Wow. Okay. Huge list of background. He's also one of the original Navy SEALs back in the Vietnam War era. He also happened to be, he was the largest owner of McDonald's in the USA. Oh, wow. Quite a background and resume. Very diverse. Yeah. yeah. He is also the guy who discovered Clint Emerson. Do you guys know who he is? Mm-mm, okay, Clint no, Emerson sure. is a Navy SEAL who's got a big following as well. Oh, okay. Is he doing like what Jocko's doing? Booking, you know, books and talks about being a SEAL? Leadership talks kind of stuff? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. So we're talking to Keith and his wife, and um, he's like, you know what? If you need some help. I am here to help guide you. Shoot, the guy is immensely successful. So we have ha- tried to have him on the show several different times, mm-hmm. but it just didn't work. For some reason, our recording didn't work. But that's how we got started with it. I said, Doc, let's do the show together because we can kind of bounce off of each other. And now we're fighting for mic time as we're <laughs> doing each show. Right, Doc? Yeah, this is about as reticent as I've ever been, because usually it's like we're going through the door at the same time. Um, yeah, but um, no, I think I, I think I actually sent uh, Greg actually one of my ESPN sports pieces, you know, because I did mm-hmm. 75 pieces there. And uh, so maybe he just wanted to co-opt me for my voice. But but no, um, we, we had a really good report um, starting starting off. And uh, we get- your voice will get to increase our women audience. Yeah, well, who knows about that? Yeah, but one thing you left out about Keith Melton, uh, JJ, uh, that's going to be my, uh, JJ is going to be my nickname for you now, um, is that uh, he did an amazing interview with Conan O'Brien, and and, uh, it is just hilarious. So you look that up after the show. That is about as good as it gets, and I'm not going to spoil it for you. Okay. But um, yeah, yeah. So. So what are some of the the topics? I've looked on your website and each episode you produce has a really compelling 
uh, theme. Can you give us examples of some of the episodes you've done and what what your audience could expect to learn by tuning in? Sure. I think recently we just did one which was a home invasion. And when I was just going to say, I really enjoyed listening to that one. That was the one I listened to this morning. That was crazy. Doc and I had just finished recording an episode. And as we're, we debrief every episode, as we're debriefing the episode, I hear a knock at the door. And I'm thinking, Uh-oh. what the heck? And so what do they do? Since I don't go to the door, since I wasn't expecting anybody, I don't have, I'm not obligated to answer the door. So I don't. So what do they do? They start testing the doorknob. They try coming in the house. They picked the wrong house. Oh, I right. know. I'm thinking, right. this is two messed up idiots, you know, and they're trying to come in and Doc's going, hey, what's going on, Greg? And I'm like, stand by, Doc. So I'm taking a look out front. Is it the UPS guy here? No, nope, not the UPS guy. There's no cars here. So I take a look out the window. It looks like two meth addicts out mm. there trying to get a simple house to break into by checking the doorknob, going inside, stealing what they can and getting away and selling their stuff. That's one example. Doc and I just finished having one the other day with Wilkes Ellsworth, and he is the lead self-defense attorney for Ohio. Mm. And we talked about Ohio law, what you can and what you can't do in self-defense. Mm. The big thing is Very what important. it is because say, for example, you're in an engagement, what's going to put you in jail and right. what's going to you out of jail. And the biggest thing is nobody has ever talked themselves out of handcuffs, but lots of people have talked themselves into handcuffs. Mm. So the biggest thing that you can really take out of this is when they read you your rights, you say, I would like to wait for my attorney before I answer any more questions. Mm. I will talk to you freely, but I want to wait. The reason being, anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. That sounds like what we should be teaching. I mean, I'm just thinking about the students in my district. It's like they really need to know if we have stand your ground laws or, you know, what is it? Your home is your castle. Uh, kind of stuff, or even just street sense and street smarts, you know, how far can you go defending yourself? And at what point are you crossing a line, you know, where you are going to be the aggressor and the perpetrator? And, you know, how can you be aware of that, you know, going out? For training for that, go to AmericanSelfDefenseLawyers.com. And there's an educational site or a link in there to get all kinds of information. And I think we'll start. Go ahead, Doc. Um, So I I have to point you to one episode that's my personal favorite, which is the uh, motorcycle gang at the gas station at three in the morning. Uh, That's the uh, that's my personal favorite. So uh, I would look that one up. That was one of the earlier shows we did. And um, that's talk about situational awareness. See, I come from a family of storytellers and the only reason we survived, we all had bad eyes. Um, the only reason we came through the eons from an evolutionary standpoint was because right before we were about ready to be killed, we said, wait, there's a, there's a penguin and a rabbi. They're going up in a hot air balloon in, in Salinas, you know, what? and, and we made them laugh. Yeah. 
So, um, so, so take a look at that because it's, um, it, it, it's how, if you're in a tough situation, doesn't work every time, but, uh, I happen to be raised by somebody who was very good at getting out of tricky situations. Um, so you might enjoy that one. I think that's our Sun Tzu one, correct? I think it's the Sun Tzu one. Oh, nice. You could have a whole podcast just on Sun Tzu. And, uh, adaptability is breaking it down. Well, speaking of adaptability, uh, that brings us, you know, where our two podcasts align with rap. And so a situation like the biker gang or someone testing your door, almost every situation you guys cover, the guiding question I would think of is WWRD. What would rap do? And so we we want to see if we can find some connections between your guys' expertise, you know, your uh, home field advantage, and our expertise with the Mitch Rap universe, and what kind of scenarios and situations Rap and crew have been in, and what kind of ways you would envision that taking place in reality, and how real operators would would get out of you know the jam. So, what do you think if we throw a few scenes at you, and you guys kind of break down what you think would be going on if you were writing the scene? or if the scene were happening in real life. Sure. Here's the difference, though. The thing is, Mitch has, he can do what he wants to do because he's kind of got a carte blanche. Mm-hmm. We got to watch out because we got to stay within the bounds of the law. True. We don't have a Kennedy backing us up and getting us out of the hot seat. Uh, well, I guess technically Mitch, Mitch should do like you do, but he just doesn't give a shit, so. Yeah. Well, that's where that's where Mitch differs from like Mike Nash, you know, a character or even Skip McMahon of the FBI, you know, Vince always writes in these books. And I don't know if you could speak to this, but, and this is one situation we can start with. People are always caught between the bureaucratic process, you know, the law, if you will, even, and doing what needs to be done, you know, to get the terrorist, to get the bad guy, to defuse the situation. So Vince often writes about the FBI having to follow protocols and legalities, and even some people at the CIA, you know, want the organization to follow the law and be out in the open. But sometimes shit only gets done if you kind of cut through that and you ignore it. So how would you speak to this balance of wanting to protect yourself as as a citizen, but also sometimes do you need to blur the edges to defend yourself? You know, do you need to take risks or step over a line to, to meet an objective? Can you guys walk us through what you would advise there advise you i'm not going to advise i can see what i would okay <laughs> just like, we don't want to put you on the record but just you know yeah. what would you do what, what would, would you do um here's what i take a look at if somebody comes at me with say for example a level seven of force i'm going to go at them with like a level eight of force that way i can stop the threat and do whatever it takes at that little higher level of force to get them to either give up or I can defeat them. And then after I can defeat them and they're no longer a threat, then I will tell them to either go on their way or I will egress myself. And the thing people don't realize is running away is a form of self-defense. You see that happening Mm -hmm. in TV. People are in a chase scene. They're not going to say, hey, I'm going to stop my car. Let's get out and go fist to cuffs. No, they're going to be trying to get away because your goal really is to get away, go home safely to your family, live another day. Right. 
I um, I have queued up then uh, your one episode on road rage because that I haven't really had m- many need for self defense in my life. But one time, me and my wife were driving, and this guy like turned on his high beams and was just being really aggressive with us. And then um, I, I was an idiot; I was drinking, so I flicked him off, and then that caused him to be even more outrageous so much so that he was trying to wreck our car and so like i like what do you do like road rage is like the scariest thing right now i just moved back to maryland i was living in ithaca where road rage wasn't a thing people like would get mad if you honked a horn like you know so here in dc road rage is a big thing but yeah i don't know running away is totally an option i i I love that you, you point that out here's another option too I carry self-defense tools inside my vehicle. So say, for example, mm, very you smart. come to a stoplight and you're pinned in, and that guy happens to come in behind you. I have other self-defense tools in my vehicle. Now, say, for example, he comes outside your car and starts yelling at you. Mitch could grab out his Glock 19 and say, pow, pow, pow. Right, right. We're all done. Us, on the other hand, we are going to have to do something differently. You don't necessarily have to brandish, but say, for example, I just got a new awesome self-defense tool today, which is a hatchet. I might just have, it's an achieved. I might just happen to take that out and put that on my dash. It's not, it's a, it's a non-lethal form of self-defense, but it kind of signals to that person. You know what? Today might not be your best day to escalate this event. Right. As I am not afraid. I am ready to go at it. And Doc, why don't you talk about our other 34-inch, 32-inch self-defense tool, which works great as well. Well, I, actually, I will talk about that. I was actually going to talk about, because I had a similar thing, happened to me that that happened to Chris. And we did an episode on that. Um, the thing that I didn't do was, you know, flip the guy off. So I should have um, done that. <laughs> so so <laughs> so I, I I had to nonetheless I had to uh to de-escalate it. Um mm, and yes. I had never been in a situation where you know somebody pulled up behind me on a in on a roundabout, which I used to live in DC. Uh on Connecticut Avenue, right by politics mm. and pros. And um, so, yeah, so I know what it's like to drive on the, so anyway, but, but this was in, in, uh, in a different state, but I was in a roundabout and somebody came up behind me, you know, driving like 60 miles an hour and then just leaned on the horn. So I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. He didn't know me from Adam. He just came in behind me. And then for whatever reason, followed me to the next Stop. I'm going, Mm -hmm. what is going on here? And then I turned into a Carl's Jr. And he followed me in and then came out of the car and was actually, it was just bizarre. Right. And, and so, um, you know, I was completely, I was just thinking about teaching, you know, I was going to teach a class and all of a sudden, you know, what is this came out of nowhere and at the time, you know, I had never really experienced that myself, but at the time I thought, you know, I'm not particularly having a good day myself. I wasn't really having a good week or a good month. And I thought, you know what, every humiliation I've ever suffered in my life 
maybe I'll just make this guy the lucky guy and, and I'll just get out and the heck with it. I mean, that did go through my mind. And I did have to stop myself and say, wait a minute, this guy doesn't know me. He's obviously disturbed. It's not a personal thing. And so I had to just stuff that down. And then I was in the window and I, I said, Hey man, you know, you know, must've pulled in front of you. Sorry, man. You know, like it was my my fault. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Like it was my fault. Yeah. And, but, but I said, Hey man, my fault, no harm done, you know, whatever. And, and, you know, he kind of stopped. It took him aback and he got back in his car and took off. But, but I went through that whole spectrum of feelings where like, what the heck, man, you know, okay, fine. You know, if this is going to be the time, this is going to be the time. And then I had to think, why? You made a choice to not escalate. But I, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, that's a unique situation and every situation is different. Back to what Greg was saying about what's different between like the Mitch Rapp where you're concocting scenarios and it may be from real life, but you're concocting it as a fiction writer. Whereas we have to do this stuff in retrospect. Okay. Now that was my, and this was your road rage, you know, reaction. So now you have something that you can learn from. So, you know, from that, so it's different than somebody, you know, creating something in fiction to correspond to a storyline or, you know, to connect events or, or whatever, or for just like titillation and action for the reader. Yeah. And you can always look back and lessons learned and, you know, sometimes put your tomahawk on the dash and sometimes bury the hatchet. Right. And so then, and then, and then, you know, Greg threw me the, you know, like, like the, like the cane, for example, I love the cane as a self-defense tool because it does hide in plain sight. It's a mobility device. Who would ever know? Are we talking um, about like just a, like a cane that a standard you know, walking to cane? walk? Well, you know, I, I, I have a, you know, a, a, a modified cane masters, you know, Keith Melton, you know, cane that, right. that can sustain a lot of force and is well-balanced and well-made. Lethal darts that come out the bottom? Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, I don't I don't have a, you know, a cobra with ruby eyes on it to call attention to it, right? It's just, it looks like you got it at okay. Walgreens, right? Okay. They right. they wouldn't know, right? Um, but, um, yeah, but I think, you know, what I've learned from uh American Cane self-defense is that you can learn within the first hour, even the first 10 minutes, how to use it with a, a primal reflex response, like a baby batting away spinach, right? And turn that into a mechanically really, really strong mm. deterrent. I use the euphemism deterrent with speed, accuracy, and power. Um and so I really like it because it's innocuous. Um, you know, I think there's kind of something nice and Victorian about it. I don't feel like, you know, I mean, and, and, and I don't carry one that's decorous, so it doesn't call attention to itself. Um, but the techniques you lose are, are first these, you know, power shots at the beginning, but later on you learn how to use it in a course, uh, you know, close quarter sense and whatever. Mm. And there's a lot of rhythm and footwork and, you know, a lot of other ancillary things that are, 
you know, that are excellent uh, with that. So I like that because it, you know, a cane, when you think of cane, you don't think of like someone who actually is going to come at you. You actually think of a sign of vulnerability, but it actually, in your case, and what you teach, it's, it's the opposite. It's, it's a sign of, of strength and you can use it for strength. Yeah. And, and, and it's actually, for me, it's almost analogous to, um, you know, I have a pretty good vocabulary. I'm pretty well spoken. Um, you know, if I wanted to go into a room and, and be Billy Sunday, I could do it. Love is the morning and the evening star shining on the cradle of the babe. Love is music. And what is music? The language of love. Come on down. Okay, now I could do that. But I don't have to do that. I can be quiet. I can be reticent. So, so the cane is really, to me, analogous to, you know, having the vocabulary and having the speaking and the storytelling skills, but not having to do it all the mm-hmm. time. Deception. You know, just listening, asking questions. Yeah. So I'm, I'm analogizing that to the cane, which I just did off the spot. I just made it up, but I kind of like it. That's something we see rap and other operators in the books doing is, is this deception as a way to put the, the environment off kilter, you know, the situation that you're in, if you're feeling a power imbalance, like let's say you're going into a scenario that's foreign or even you're on foreign soil and you don't know what to expect and you think you're outnumbered, let's say we often see rap might downplay his abilities. He might walk with a limp. Um, he might pretend to be, you know, at one point, actually the first written scene ever in the books, transfer of power, he's walking like a beggar mumbling to himself in Iran, in Arabic, in the streets of Iran, uh, which I guess Persian also, but, and basically everyone around him doesn't even give him a second thought. Oh, there's another beggar. And here he is a highly skilled assassin under the enemy's nose, you know, and he's hunting a terrorist, but you never know it because of how he's disguising himself. You know, you can do that both ways, you know, the positive and the negatives of that. And, and you're good because you go all the way back to Homer and Odysseus returning right. home as a right. beggar. Exactly. And, and so if you read the Iliad and the Odyssey, you know, and the only person who recognizes him is the dog. Right. But, you know, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So, so yeah, it's great stuff. It's great. I like also a Mitch, say, for example, he will use improvised tools. Yes, for sure. One of my favorite ones is toward the end, I can't remember which book it was, but toward the end, there was a male politician who was such a jerk and Mick picked, or Mitch picked up a fork and put oh. it in his leg. Oh, oh what, uh, what book is this? That was awesome. Oh, I want to catch that one. So what do I do I know what you're talking about, but I, I can't remember what book. Piece. I carry a spoon and a fork with me. There you go. <laughs> so tomahawk on the dash get trained with a cane and always carry kitchen utensils wherever you go well, look at this one here this is just my zebra steel pen this is awesome that could work this one pow, i want to though there's one better improvised device scene i could think of and though you're right vince flynn was the master of that Kyle Mills doesn't do bad himself in Lethal Agent. It was three books about three books ago. He does pick up the crossbow going into a cave because he doesn't want to get disoriented by the sounds of uh, gunshots. So he uses the crossbow in in this you know audio environment of a cave. But no, the cage, the cage. 
No, is that Mitch? Yeah, Mitch gets kept in a cage at a drug lord's um, villa in, where was that, central Mexico, I think? And the drug lord has him in a cage. He taunts the guard close to the cage. I think he's calling him names. He's poking him with a stick. And when the guard gets close enough, he pulls him in and kills him. And was it his femur that he whittled down to use as a lockpick? Or one of his bones, yeah. Oh, and he gets out of the cage, and then I think he uses that femur then to like go on and and like you know add, that's his weapon now going yeah. going forward. That's a lot of work for uh, to make a lockpick. <laughs> Do either of you have experience with that? <laughs> Locks really is not that difficult to do. Oh, I meant the femur. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but seriously, I guess um, crossbow the, scene. My yeah. wife loved that. She. She's a big knife collector. She doesn't know I've sent her the hatchet or the axe right now, but she is a huge knife collector. And she grew up in the Philippines, in the jungle of the Philippines. And at the age of three, she got her first knife. So she can manipulate a knife very, very quickly. We came into the house one time, I turned the light on and I had this bing. She had taken her knife out of her bag did the butterfly Ooh. thing with it and stabbed a centipede on the ground before I could even turn around. She wow. is fast with a Holy shit. <laughs> wow. That's something. That's intense. I'm you... very polite to my wife. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Don't want to be on her bad side. Uh, one other scene. Ha- have you or either of you read Jack Carr? I... Oh, very nice. I didn't catch that episode. I'm going to have to tune into that one. Uh, Jack's great, but we're talking like concealment and improvised devices. There's a scene, and I don't want to spoil too much of the book, but 90% of our readers have read all of Jack Carr. I believe it's the Terminalist, but it could be the one after, where the character's meeting with an imam in a mosque and has to get through layers of security So decides to hide the hatchet, and Chris, I don't know if you remember this one, in an empty laptop that he removed the hard drive from. And so as he opens up the laptop, he can slide out from the hard drive slot without anybody seeing the hatchet that is uh, concealed inside. I love that stuff in thriller books. Because Jack had those hatchets. That's why I got one. Ah, was that the Winkler he's always talking about? Yeah, but I got a different one because it's a little bit bigger. Because his are kind of small. I wanted a bigger one because gotcha. my seat of my Chevy Silverado, I would lose the winter. I wanted to have something a little bit bigger. But still okay. awesome tools. But that is great. But what if I, I have hidden stuff before as well, but I not for self-defense weapons. But back in high school, I used to take a glue bottle, fill it with water, and then take a book, cut out the pages inside there, put that glue bottle in there. And open it up and spray the girls' blouses because I went to the public school. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my question, Greg, is what was the book? <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah, you're wondering. What, what was probably Jane Austen. It was probably Jane Austen. His English teacher made him read Jane Austen. It's right. got to be thick. <laughs> yeah. Tolstoy yeah, and not, not, not read so, that much. Yeah. <laughs> so back to Jack Carr, what Jack told us in the interview was fascinating because it really goes back to kind of one of the first questions you posed to us is that, you know, he hired guys to actually go through 
the combat scenes that he was writing about mm. to make sure that it was realistic. So, you know, he really knew that this was a viable scenario. And I thought, wow, that's pretty impressive. Um, so, um, you know, he wanted to make sure that what he was writing about, you know, wasn't just confabulated or, or out of his head that this, 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 this was possible. And I know Kyle Mills has done that when he took over the Mitch Rapp series. He has a gun, um, a gun guru, gun expert who we follow on social media and actually might once we get into Kyle Mills's books, we might have on the podcast. But yeah, he has a contact because you don't want to miss those details. And Doc, like you know books, as soon as you miss the key details that anyone with experience in the field would have nailed or will pick up on, you lose a lot of credibility. And so, yeah, you do have to cross your T's and dot your I's. Yep. I guess going from, you know, the question of, of concealing a hatchet, do you guys have any suggestions for concealing something for self-defense wise that, you know, I'm not talking about a gun or, you know, uh, a knife, but something that anyone could carry that could be found in your household that you would recommend to be used, you know, to carry around for self-defense? Yeah, I do. That's part of the things I teach. myself. Right. That's why I'm asking the question. Okay, great. Well, one is keys, your car keys. People keys, okay. hold their car keys correctly. And... I can demonstrate for you, but unfortunately your listeners aren't going to see this. <laughs> so one thing you don't do, you don't take the keys and put it between your fingers and think you're going to punch them. That's what I would have done. <laughs> no, you, okay. You take a look at your arm, your upper arm, okay. your bicep and your triceps, your triceps, you have three muscles, right? So basically you're striking your overhand strike. Oh. You have more force, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Then jabbing, you kind of come with a downward motion. Correct. So it's easy to use what I call like a double C block to, to stop somebody who's trying to go after you with an underhand stab. But with an overhand stab, I can still block that. But what you're going to do, you're going to palm your keys and at the where your pinky is in your palm of your hand, your key should be coming out down there. Huh. So you're coming with a stabbing motion down. Grip that and see that you will not lose your keys that way compared to putting it in between your fingers here. You're going to probably split your knuckles or probably mm, your hand. lose your keys. Yes. Uh, another one, say, for example, you're driving. I don't know. I still have a CD player in my car. And I, Yeah, I think most cars do. But Okay. What I do, I have a CD and I, I snap it in half. Wow. Okay. Yes. Wouldn't have because thought of that. That works as a great tool. So say, for example, you strike somebody with that. That is great for collecting DNA or, mm. or causing some really great cuts, painful cuts on somebody. And if it snaps off, you still got a sharp edge. Right. And if anybody asks, do you have a weapon? No. Right. It's a CD. Yeah, the, you, uh, you just have half a Britney Spears album. Yeah. Why I did it with... <laughs> Uh, what was it? Uh, Julio Iglesias. My, my oh, there we go. <laughs> I love Julio Iglesias. <laughs> was my wife, I was surprised. She loves Engelbert Humperdinck. Yeah. So, so you watched. Now the listeners won't see this, but you watched. You know how how Greg used. You know held the keys. You know that is the same power shot um, that Joe Robina teaches in American Cane Self Defense, which is a primal slap. It's one of the first 
reflexes that you have when you're a baby to protect yourself and protect the organs, the vital organs up here, or slap something away. So that's that same motion um, that creates that first power shot in the power shot template. Um, same thing that Greg did with the keys. I feel like my first reaction in these situations, having less than zero experience, less than zero training, and less than zero fitness, would be to swing laterally, you know, a side to side motion and try to, you know, get power from kind of the hips but i feel like a downward motion is just so much more powerful but it's a little less intuitive that that's that's that old vaudeville joke how do you dance at an irish wedding remember that <laughs> <laughs> you're listening left hook your right listeners hook. Right left hook, right hook. Uppercut, your listeners couldn't see that but but uh <laughs> the good old donny bro <laughs> very inefficient because you're really wasting a lot of torque right when you're throwing these haymakers out there. yeah and real simple stuff to do i like to use a straight jab for me personally and let me ask you this how does this look i'm putting both my hands in front of my body and my hands my fingers are open right mm. going like that to like this i'm going from a passive stance to an aggressive stance. Mm -hmm. So if you are going to engage somebody, you will catch them to their eyes. Where do you look at them? Mm. I mean, I'm right. just asking Chris, Mike, where would you guys look at those guys? I'm thinking I'm looking. I'd be looking at the eyes or the hands, but then I'm thinking, what about the chest to see like which way they're going? I don't know. The eyes have never, until I get someone attacking you with their eyes, where the eyeballs pop out, I'm not going to be paying attention to their eyes. I'm mm. going to pay attention to their hands. Right, yeah. all, but I'm all, probably looking at their face now. I'm not looking at their yeah. hands. Yeah. It's, and also when you pay attention to their hands, it makes you look more passive. So it gives them more of a relaxed type of stance. So I'm going to be looking at their hands. And if their hands are below their elbows, I'm going to be taking a stance with my hands, maybe like in this kind of position, above my elbows. I could be in a passive stance because I can go to an aggressive stance quite quickly. And I don't have to wait for the first punch to be thrown. Mm. If they put me in a state of apprehension or assault, I can strike first. If I let them strike before me, it could be that one lucky punch that disables me or slows me down. Right. I wait. And, and what? And also, I don't, don't. And what are you taught as a kid? Don't fight unfair. Don't go for the eyes. Don't go for the throat. Heck. I'm going right for those spots. The reason yeah. being, I want to end that fight as quickly as possible. Right. So you noticed what, what Greg was saying about, about the hands? That holds for the cane as well. So this is like, hey, man, I don't want any trouble. That, that really doesn't look too aggressive, right? Right. Sure. Hey, man, but I don't want any trouble. But it's the same, it's the same idea that Greg was talking about if you're empty-handed. Right. So, you know, hey, man, you know, no trouble. That's that's actually, you know, that's kind of a passive reaction. That's what every NBA guy does, you know, when when he does a hard foul. Says, what? You know, me. Hey, right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Not me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So um, but it's the same principle with the cane. We're getting into a little bit more of the hand to hand combat. So if you could humor me as I read a quote, Chris knows on our podcast, I'm, I'm the quote guy. I love pulling out from the text. 
I pulled out some quotes from, would you say, Chris, the most memorable fight scene of all of rap, the Hurley fight at the at the training facility? Yeah, this was the first one I thought of. And you actually picked the second one I thought of, too, uh, the Act of Treason dojo scene. But it, that's not like that memorable. It's just one that I remembered. Yeah. But yeah, maybe no, definitely the, the fight. Maybe we'll wrap up with that one second. Talk a little bit about your martial arts uh, expertise, because rap does go into a dojo. And we think Vince gets the culture right. But first, he's fighting his mentor, or who will become his mentor. And upon first meeting Stan Hurley, you know, this vet who you hear all the stories about, Rap squares him up and says, look, let's not waste our time. Either I got the goods or I don't. Let's hit the mat right now. And in 30 seconds, I bet you'll know if I, I can bring it or not. And so here's a quote from that fight scene. And I just want to get your take on the flow the motion, the action, how realistic does this sound? So I'll bounce around a little bit, picking a few sentences. Here we go. Hurley began sliding to his right, looking for an angle of attack. He glimpsed an opening when his opponent made an aggressive head fake that was an obvious tell of what would follow. Hurley decided to dispatch the kid quickly. He wasn't going to waste time with defensive blocks and holds. He was going to make him feel real pain, bust a couple of ribs. That way, there'd be no hope of keeping up with the others. Hurley anticipated the punch, ducked into a crouch, came to deliver a blow to the kid's midsection. Right about the time he pivoted off his back foot and let loose a strike, he realized something wasn't right. The kid was a lot faster than he had anticipated. So how much of a fight is dipping, dodging, ducking, sliding, and trying to anticipate the next move? Is that Does that sound about right? It's going to be for your fighting because you chose to fight. This is just right. like Right. This is, you know you're going to go at it. On something like this, yes, you're going to see that. Me personally, I'm going to have my hands up because I'm going to be looking to block either a body shot or a head shot. Um, Doc, you're probably thinking the same thing, wouldn't you? Yeah, and actually when you read that, it made me think back. Um, we haven't put it on the channel yet. But my literary hero, I think Jack Cars, too, actually, was Jack London. And in one of the great stories, the, A Piece of Steak, you know, he takes you round by round where, you know, what is in the mind of the fight. Now, granted, this is a fight rather than like a spontaneous self-defense situation. Um, but it did make me think of a lot of the scenes there in A Piece of Steak, um, and how, you know, you, as, as the fight progresses in rounds, even he's taking stock that this is a younger, stronger, faster person, and that he's going to have to make his move soon because he's going to run out of steam. Um, so again, this is like in the time that you took to read that, that fight could have been over, right? You're using right. words Seconds. and you're reading words at a certain, you know, words per minute, whereas it happens so fast. And then you describe it in retrospect. Right. Um, but, but you're really describing it as if it was going on in slow motion. But here's you're, what happens. Mm -hmm. You're really in a fight scene. If you are really trained, your senses are very alert. Heightened. You yep. you're, exactly. Everything is very heightened. You see things when punches come, you don't blink. You just take them and you're looking to see where the next blow is coming from. You're watching for the faint. Are they throwing a wide jab in the sense that you're going to block wide? And if you do that wide block, 
you're going to have a slip coming inside and getting mm-hmm. I mean, that's this is stuff that I used to do to people. Right. Well, to both your points about the pacing of this, Doc, you're right. You're spot on. I, I reread this scene just recently to get ready for this, and it was pages on pages on pages and so detailed, like what I just read. That was actually probably four or five sentences of a five, six page scene. And when we watched the American Assassin movie, they didn't include that fight. And I worried about that. And I was so, con- I was like, I want to see him fight and kick Hurley's ass. It never happened. And then I'm like, wait, that would have probably been like 20 seconds max, 15 seconds. Um, so I wonder why they cut it from the movie. But um, yeah, it would have happened so much faster. But as we're reading, we can kind of savor it, the moves. It's, it's and- very slow-mo. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's that's really what an author does. That's why Kyle Mills is so effective is you can write about all these senses, you know, at different points. So you can write about a sense of smell or a sense of hearing or the orientation of the bodies or whatever. But in reality, it's all happening in a, in a very compressed amount of time. Right. And, and so like when Greg revisits like an incident that happened with him, you know, I mean, I, I know, you know, I know for a fact some of them lasted a long time, but there were others that that didn't. You know, that, that took place very quickly. But if you went back and wrote about it and described it, of course, you know it would be exponentially longer, right? Because you have the time in retrospect to go back and say, well, what happened here? What did I do here? And you're revisiting it. But in the moment, it's you're you're right. just in it, yeah. And that's what makes guys like Mitch Rapp and Scott Coleman and the others in these books. The real the real pros and the cut above time slows for them in those moments and only the true craftsman, the true, you know, artisan who has the experience. Would you would you feel time slow in the moment where, you know, a bozo like me, I I get sideswiped and have no idea what the hell just happened and didn't have a moment to react where these operators and the training kicks in. You can almost think through and anticipate while it's happening. And I don't know what that would be like. You do It'll be a blur. It does slow down, and you can see the little small movements, mm-hmm. or you can see that someone is either experienced or inexperienced. Like we were talking about throwing the wide haymaker punches, or throwing a straight jab, or going for me. I'd be going for a knee break because if I take out the knee, take out the wheels, mm-hmm. we're done. Right. Yeah. Well, let me uh, just. You got to wrap up the ending of this fight scene. So before I give it to you, Chris, let me just uh, tell you how Rap gets the upper hand on Hurley. Before Hurley had a chance to regroup, he felt the leg sweep catching him perfectly in the ankle of his right foot. Like you said, take out the wheels. The sweep took him so cleanly, there was no hope of catching himself. He went with it, landed on his ass, tucked and rolled, sprang back to his feet. Rap somehow reversed the hold later on, was on top of Hurley. Rap hooked his ankles together, began to close his knees like a vice crushing a coconut. Hurley jabbed his thumb deeply into the wrists of his opponent, but he couldn't get him to back off. He could feel the stages of a blackout coming. He scrambled for a way out. He released his hand from the wrist hold, grabbed the uh, kid's thick black hair, but instead of letting go, the kid squeezed his knees even harder. White lights were dancing at the periphery of his vision. Hurley couldn't believe he just had his ass handed to him by some college puke. You can do that, right, Greg? You would do that to Doc, wouldn't you? <laughs> and the only the only reason that Mitch doesn't end up winning is because he, oh, yeah. he then goes for his balls, which Hurley is goes for the nuts. Yeah. Just like what you said earlier, in yep. the schoolyard, there's you know, there's no 
There's no rules. Fight fairly. I call it shopping for fruit. Yeah. (laughs) All I know is, guys, if someone's going to kick us there, we know exactly what to do. We just rotate our hips a little bit because we've been defending that our entire lives. Right. Thing is, though, say, for example, they have you from behind. Mm. You're going to have your hands free. One, you're going to be doing a hook so you can actually get an airway. Then you can step aside with one leg or the other and then reach down, grab, twist, and pull. When you do that shopping for fruit maneuver, <laughs> you actually cause internal bleeding. You oh, get a nice well. reaction or a nice quick reaction. It's the only way Hurley gets a uh, wrap off of him by breaking the rules and getting some discount on the fruit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> actually, there, there is a, uh, a line in the Constant Gardener written by Caray, and uh, it's God has your head, but the devil has your balls. And um, <laughs> this is true. So I, I had a question that um, it's, I guess it's ten- tendentially related, but you know, these operators are able to stay focused, uh, stay calm in these situations, but you know, you guys are teaching normal people, not, well, I, I, I don't know if you also teach operators, but you, you mainly teach self-defense to average Joes, I'm guessing, or people who want to be, uh, learn this stuff. Do you have tips or tools to help people stay calm when they reach situations like this? Uh, you know, whether it be road rage, um, you know, someone burg- home burglar, you know, and anything. I put people into actual stressful environments and what I'll do, I'll run them through scenarios over and over and then we'll debrief it and then we'll go do it again. It's kind of like you're riding on a roller coaster. You ever ridden on a roller coaster before? Oh yeah. Okay. And the first time you ride on the roller coaster and you get out of the, off the roller coaster and there's a booth where they have all these pictures, right? And you see all the pictures and everyone's going, oh, I'm afraid. But you go ride that again and again and again. Repetition. Now you know where that camera is. You're looking for that camera. You're making the pose, making the funny face. You're making a couple signals with your hands. So now you become inoculated from the stress and the anxiety. Mm -hmm. So you go through these type of scenarios a couple of different times. And then you debrief them and you think about what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What could I do better? All right. This will help you realize how to get through that in the future. Just like the yeah, other yeah. Day about, uh, potential home invasion. I was just very calm. Whatever. It was you know, and that's um, you know, that's really Greg's forte is is that reality-based training. And and there's no substitute for that except for having to go through the real thing. Um, And so that's why you do it. But the other part of that is that if you do take a class, for example, take a cane class, just the knowledge that you have some training can put you more at ease. Like at least I know something right to keep that adrenaline response down. So the fact that you have had some training, it doesn't mean you can just, you know, go out and perform, but if you're smart and you have good situational awareness, you know, you don't cause fights or whatever, but you, you do have the self-confidence to know, for example, that you can handle the cane, then you're able to keep that fight or flight response down. And 
what I know Greg teaches and what I teach is that once you make that, once you have decided that you need to jump into action, you're using that adrenaline response and you're yelling out, you know, like a powerful, you know, back off. You're, you're yelling it out and using that not only to scare your attacker, but uh, to galvanize your own response. And that's a powerful thing. There are certain people. And when you said, for example, teach average people, that's why I got into it. I'm not a confrontational, aggressive person at all. I want to be able to help people who, you know, they're not particularly aggressive uh, or confrontational. I want to be able to help people who, you know, are being preyed upon by potentially somebody who is. So that if you utilize that, that gives you a lot of empowerment. You know, a lot of people have never really let that rage out. And so with that training, you can do it. You know, it's like board breaking, you know, in, 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 in karate, for example. In other words, you're intimidated. You think you're going to be stopped by the boards. And that yell is that, again, training that adrenaline response um, to get through. Um, so that's important too. So the reality base puts you in scenarios where now, as Greg said, you're on the roller coaster. You've been there before. Put your hands up, smile for the camera, look around. Hey, mom, how's it going back there? Right. Mom's passed out in the back, but what the heck? You're having a good time, right? But you've been on the roller coaster. Okay. So, um, so that's really important. And you combine that with just the knowledge that you do have some training and that you, you know, you do have an avenue, um, to protect yourself. So put those two things together. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that gives you the potential to, uh, to help yourself. Chris, here's a good point. Also, remember we had Dan Schilling on the show, doc, this guy talks about situational awareness mm-hmm. and in his book and his website, he gives away tips and scenarios that you can practice on your own and develop mm. on your own so you can become situational aware. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, this is kind of far afield, but I want to share this. Um, anybody who's ever played sports, if you're going to shoot bas- you know, baskets at in the evening or whatever, you know, you always would play out that last scenario in your head. You're shooting alone and the sun's going down and you're going, okay, you know, fake left, you know, behind the back dribble pump, fake, get them in the air and hit it. And you go out on a winner and then you go home, right? Okay. You see that in your head all the time. Well, this is my, one of my great stories just about relating back to when Greg was talking about um, Dan Schilling and using scenarios in your head. This is this is old school stuff, but um, this is Pat Hayden and J.K. McKay were best friends and they grew up in the shadow of the Rose Bowl. And um, since the time they were like sixth graders, they would pretend that they were in the Rose Bowl and it was, you know, 10 seconds to go. And they're there at the 30 yard line. And, and J.K. McKay would do an out pattern and Hayden would hit him with the winning touchdown. Right. And they did that as kids. Every kid does that. Right. They did that constantly. Well, it actually happened and it did come down to the last seconds. And there they were in the Rose Bowl. And this was the last play. You can look it up on YouTube. And Pat Hayden hits Jay McKay just like 
when they were kids going all the way back. Oh, they played it in their head. Visualization. Here in that story. I mean, that's yeah. as good as it gets, right? So you're playing in your head. And so back to Dan Schilling's, um, you know, scenarios, that's really good. I mean, the mental practice of things, it's not a substitute for the reality, but, but this, you have other options when you can't, you know, train and you can do it in your head and you can do it over and over in your head. All right like that. And every athlete has done that, has done mental, that goes back to the Iliad. I mean, there's a great, there's a great scene where I think it's Nestor is, is, is coaching Telemachus in his head to run the chariot race and how you can't spin out too far, but you can't hug the post too tight. And, and it's that, that, that mental ahead of time. So I think that's a really, really important part of it. Um, is that mental scenarios visualization and preparedness you know like the warrior in the fight doesn't and and this is something i've heard multiple speakers say he doesn't rise to the occasion to be the hero but falls to the level of their training and if that training is as at a high capacity you know you'll kick into gear right wow um i learned a lot i could talk to you guys forever this is <laughs> yeah. great. let's do this again well, have you on the self-defense channel? I wouldn't have much to contribute, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's okay. We just have fun talking, though. Oh, man. See why how you guys, uh, you know, you, you guys have great chemistry. Obviously, right. you can tell from your podcast. So you guys are great. This is, this is a lot of fun. Everything looks different. I'm looking around my room. I'm going to walk into work tomorrow, and everything's going to look like a weapon. I'm going to be like, how do I use this Amazon Fire remote, you know, to kill somebody? <laughs> it's just... Here's, here's the biggest one. This will get you killed more or get you hurt more than anything is your cell phone. Because uh, happens, people are so oblivious to the world. They're walking out of their home to their car. On their phone. In their car, and they're on their phone. They left their doors unlocked. I do. Here's a scenario that I do in all of my classes. I'll ask somebody to come up. Actually, I ask three or four people to come sit up in front of the classroom, get out their telephones, and I say, I want you to text, hey, I'm sitting in a class with this extremely handsome man, and he's teaching me wonderful things in class. And they'll giggle. And I said, no, go ahead. Seriously, send that to your friend. Send it to your best friend. So they are doing that. And I'm sitting up there, and everybody else is around me, and I'm going like this. And then I'll finish their, their texting, and I'll say, did you see me showing anything to the rest of the yeah. class? Like, no, I have no idea. I said, for about 30 seconds, I'm only four or five feet in front of you. And I turn around, I say to everybody, what was I showing? And they're saying, yeah. you're showing the number four, you're showing the number two. How many fingers did I have up? Yeah. Right. Yes, exactly. And they're going, no, we had no idea. Didn't even see it. They're so locked in. Because the biggest places where you can possibly be assaulted is going to be at your home between your door and your car and vice versa or a parking lot. The parking lot could be for your place of work, for school or shopping. That's where most events are going to take place. Yeah. The worst, you have a garage and you're pulling into your garage. You're thinking, mm. ah, I'm, safe. I'm in my safe place. Someone runs into your garage and now you're done. So you always want to back into your garage? No, hmm. I would just say, think you're not done until you're in your home and the garage door is closed and your door is locked behind you. And you lock the door. Okay. 
Okay. Yes. Yeah. What's your take on what's your guys take on ear, like earbuds, uh, AirPods, or you know any sort There's of headphones? Situational awareness when you're wearing those. Now, say for example, I'm in the gym. That's okay. Although I did have some guy that really twerked me off. He saw I was wearing my self-defense shirt, and he thought I'm on the treadmill. He wants to attack me on the treadmill. But come on. He's like, I know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm like. I'm in the gym. We're working out. What are you doing attacking me on a treadmill? You knucklehead. Yeah. But nevertheless, I think it's great for in the gym working out. Um, if you're jogging or something, but be cognizant. Right. I was going to say, what about in an urban setting? You know, one of my concerns is, you know, me or my wife wearing, you know, headphones, listening to music, whatever, and just not being aware or even my students. I'm, I'm a middle school teacher. And our question now is, should they be able to carry their laptops to school because we're worried about on the bus, you know, going through, uh, you know, some rough neighborhoods, uh, walking down the street with a backpack. People are going to know if you're a student, you got a laptop. Uh, how do you feel about just like situational awareness in an, in an urban environment like the street setting? If I were going to be in a street setting, I would not have anything in my ears. Mm -hmm. I would be trying to play down the situation, but I would be very prepared on what I'm going to do verbal responses because you can do verbal responses a lot of people will back down to bullying because this is going to come down to bullying most likely when you're dealing with kids and what happens at that point you want to get as much attention on that person as possible you want to deny them and be loud mm. and you also want them to fake it if they have if they can fake right. it if they have to then and they have to use a strike because that person puts them into a threatening situation, then use some of the skills. I teach an anti-bullying class to kids also. Mm -hmm. I teach them where to hit somebody to stop a fight very quickly, where it's going to yeah. be painful to that person. It's not going to, it's going to incapacitate them, but you're not going to kill them. And it will stop them pretty damn quick. I like the idea of the noise to just get the bystanders around you or whomever to be activated as well to what's going on in the situation. You bet. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, that was a whole lot. I'm not going to pull more quotes out at you, even though I have a whole bunch of other fight scenes. We'll save that for the next time. So can you tell us where the people can find you if they want to check out your work and maybe some of your classes or even the Self-Defense Channel podcast? Yeah, the Self-Defense Channel, just type in the selfdefensechannel.com and you will find Doc and me there. We've got a dedicated website and it has all of our shows in there in the library. And we also have training in there for all the stuff that we have. And soon Doc is going to be teaching Tai Chi as well because he is the doctor of Tai Chi. Well, he was a professor at the university teaching Tai Chi, but... Uh, He's going to have his Tai Chi classes on our class as well. We have reality-based self-defense. We have cane self-defense. We have uh, other activities for the younger group as well as the older group. You can go from zero to hero. Doc, take it away. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's all going to be up. So American Cane Self-Defense California, uh, you can look that up. And uh, as, as Greg said, I'll be doing Tai Chi Chuan, uh, which, again, is – I know it, it's, it's like an earthworm on NyQuil, right? You know, it, it's slow. But one of the beautiful meditative things about Tai Chi is it really teaches you good body mechanics. Mm. Um, and because you're not moving quickly, 
you are able to be much more aware of where you're stepping, how you're stepping, where your body parts are in space. And so I think it's just a fantastic kind of groundwork for later self-defense techniques. Um, so there's the meditative aspect and just the relaxation, which is wonderful, but all the mechanics that I've learned, I've done Tai Chi Chuan for 41 years, completely trans over, transfer over to the cane, uh, and handling the cane efficiency, uh, efficiently. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, right. just check out the channel and, and, uh, and Greg's Cobra classes and, and, um, we'll, we'll do this again. Cool. We'll and are you guys on social media? Do you have a Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook? Instagram, yeah. But you can find all that stuff through the Self Defense Channel. I'll lead you okay. Right all right. Go to the website, cool. selfdefensechannel.com. Yeah. And new toy also today. I got two new toys today. One was the, the axe, and the other one was an umbrella. This one here is a spy umbrella. That has the lethal darts, right? How did you know? Oh, <laughs> I will show you later, Mike. You're a Kingsman. Sweet. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, next time we talk, Doc, you got to uh, get to your third Mitch Rap book, and you know, okay, we can explore Sounds that. Good. <laughs> yep. Sounds great. Well, thanks, guys. This was wonderful talking to you. I learned a lot. Great. Me too. I had a great I, time. I hope I don't put the skills to use between then and now. Well, that's that's the idea. Yeah, that's the idea. We uh, it's there if you need it, but. Uh, um let's hope you, uh, don't. hope you don't yeah let, let's just all get along depend on it that key trip that, that i always was holding my keys around the way coming so. down with the Thank key you. instead i, of I need i should take one of your classes or, or find a class near me so yeah it'd be a lot of fun. Be in contact yeah just let us know all right cool i will invite you guys to come to a free online class cool oh that'd be sick that'd be sick love Do it that. oh here's one thing i wanted to say you were talking about chris you said you want to be a world traveler Oh, yes. Okay. Here is something that's very paramount. When this COVID crap is over with, what Doc and I are doing, because I actually live on a tropical island in the South Pacific. I designed my house basically similar to Mitch Rapp's neighborhood. Oh, oh the compound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I know people are like, you got a compound here. You got a castle here. You should have cannons out of this house. <laughs> It's got a moat around the house. What? It's got a stone wall. You're being serious now. I am. I got patrol wow. animals. Patrol animals. That is awesome. Wow. Yes. I have a six, seven foot tall perimeter fence that is lined with thorned plants. And if you get past that to the other side, now it's with waist high cactus. And the perimeter is about maybe a little over a mile of fencing. Wow. And if you're going to, one side's got creeks and waterfalls, another side, you got to go down a very steep, slippery hill and then climb a cliff before you get, because take a look at the last book, you know, that climbing of the cliff part. Yes. The new one. Right, 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 right. Visualize part of my backyard. Yeah. And then after total power with the electricity stuff, rap was upgrading his, the redundancy of his electric power and with lethal agent and the infectious disease, he was upgrading his air filters and his circulation system. Some of these books make me think I would never think of all those things if I were trying to set up a safe room. I have okay, I got a safe room in the house, but I also have our primary power source is solar. We got the big array there. It's not mounted to the house because 
There's a lot of reasons for that. And we also have it backed up by batteries. Then we also have it backed up by a generator as well as the grid. We don't have mm -hmm. wind power, but we're- Redundancy, yeah. A water source and our food source. It would yeah. be a lot of fun. But Doc and I are gonna be having classes out there inviting people and it'd be awesome to have you guys come out there too. That's wild. Not only doing self-defense, but doing some really other cool stuff like paragliding, jumping off uh, cliffs into the ocean. Ukulele, storytelling. Yeah. Holy cow. That sounds awesome. That I got catamarans awesome. and catamarans. Um, cool. Jeez, keep us in the loop. That's we'll, wild. We'll have to talk again. This, is, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. If people could see where it is, you know, I'll send you guys a video later on. Yeah, please. That'd be cool. I'm excited. I'm excited about this. This, Very is, this cool. sounds awesome. The self defense island. Although this is probably better. SDI. Self -defense I'm, I'm thinking, self -defense thinking of like the was it Lethal Agent where they had like the compound down in Mexico, but yours mm -hmm. is obviously way better. Uh, way better secure than than that. There's the Gray Man too in the first book, the original where it's like these rings of security and he, and the gray man's kind of got to get through and he's crawling through a field. And yeah, it just made me think, think about that. When you try to come to our property oh. because our animals, okay. Not only do we have dogs, but we have Belgian Malinois. We have, oh, right, right, right. Yes. We have Rottweilers. Um, we have some other type of dogs as well, but what, another one, which is crazy are geese. Or because mm, they squawk. They are loud. They are yeah. super loud. And ostrich. I got full-grown ostrich. So have you been to this place, Doc? No, I haven't. No, no, I... Wow. No. <laughs> what are you waiting for? Crazy stuff in my yard. COVID. Uh, they they yeah, won't exactly. let me in. True, true, true. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. you, you, uh, I'm thinking of Grisha's house. Like he, Grisha's he lived in like somewhere in Central America, and he had. Oh, yeah. I, was, I was I was thinking about that red door or the wall. other one <laughs> right he has like a wall that he can explode to get out right in the back that's yes. right wow so. crazy stuff good stuff <laughs> that's awesome well it's nice to meet you guys yeah great talking to you both you too. Have, a good good one. have a good one well we hope you enjoyed that lively interview they were really nice fun to talk to crazy that he owns a whole freaking island uh that's stacked to the nines with self-defense uh we'll have to go visit there and give give a live pod from there that'd be awesome wild wild man i do not want to cross either of those guys whether it's greg with his hatchet or doc with his cane on the street just I i'm going the other way i'm out the picture yeah like you know when you told me that, hey, we're going to have these guys. They reached out to me or, we, you know, we were talking on Twitter, whatever. Um, I went to their website and I saw that, you know, Doc teaches this cane self-defense class. And it has a little picture, like a cartoon picture of like um, a guy in a karate outfit with with like a cane. But it doesn't look like a, like a I'm thinking of, it, you know, the cane that, that Doc uses is, you know, like what? My grandfather had to walk. He had to have a cane when he walked around. But on the picture, it just looked like like a cane. I don't know. I, I don't. I'm, I'm explaining this wrong. It didn't look like an old person mm. cane in the picture. So when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, cane, just interesting tool." And then when he's talking about it, no, it's an actual fucking cane yeah. <laughs> that like you know, with little 
tennis ball on the bottom that you, you know you you could have. I was like, oh, that's fucking sick, because these these older people need need self defense right. too. You know, not that he's old, but just like you know, just just teaching these people. I mean, and like I said yeah. on the podcast, these people look more vulnerable. Right, than, right, right. Than you, you know, people target people like them. They target females, whatever. You know, you know, they're not going to target the. the bodybuilder right you know, they, they target people who are easy prey right and so. i mean imagine an hour hour and a half class some discussions about this stuff it could could save your life right or protect your property like that right that matters i'm gonna go look up those uh situational awareness things after this um just to do like some of the mental right. things I, i've done that sometimes where like you know i'll just be in the car and i'll think like hey what if this guy's cut like this guy's coming right. what if he cuts me off how do i how would I react? I imagine that's just like how what you would have to you do. You know, so. it made me think yeah. when Greg was talking about someone who tried his doorknob at his house a couple of months ago. Our security camera picked up a dude at like five thirty a.m. Right, like we're sleeping, and he probably knows we're home. He's at our front door, tries the handle, stands there for a second, tries the handle another time. It's locked. He's about to reach into his pocket, and as he's pulling something out of his pocket, I have no idea what, he looks up at our security camera. The second he sees that security camera, he freaks out, hides his face, turns his back, and like very awkwardly tries to pretend he's knocking at the door. And then when he doesn't get an answer, he strolls away. Like before he saw that security camera, he was not knocking. He was trying the handle. And he was going for something in his pocket. Mm. I don't know, lockpick, what knife? Ah, who knows? But we called the cops, and the cops were. We showed the video, and they were literally like, "There was no crime committed. There's nothing we can do." And so I'm like, "Well, I just want to know, like, yeah. do you have a database? Do you know this guy? You've seen him around? Has anything else happened with him?" And they're like, "No, there's nothing for us to do." I'm like, "In a world of there's nothing for us to do." You might have to take matters into your own hands, you know, at some point and be prepared. Well, do you remember, I, I, I thought I told you this, but my parents in 2018, they got broken into mm. in their, their apart, their townhouse. Uh, they went in through the back uh, sliding glass door mm. and my, my dad walked home to the, the house completely, every single thing overturned. was out, oh, overturned. Man. They were. All the clothes taken out, all like just drawers dumped, looking for stuff. And the cops came and they're like, you know, my dad has a ring, but he has a ring. He had a ring on the front door and they didn't go they through the through front the door. Yeah. Uh, they went to the back. Um, the cops were like, yeah, we can't, we can't do anything. What they lucked out was they, they hit like nine houses in a day. And then, so this led to like, they got a description of one of them. And then this person was starting to sell out of the back of the car, like some there of the There you items. go, geniuses, right? And so, th and so that's how they got him. And of course, like they took my dad. My dad got this like commemorative three liter bottle of, of Jack Daniels, and it had like was engraved with his name. And that was one of the items that that the cops recovered. Oh, but be because it's liquid, the cops had to pour it out in case like they tainted it no. somehow. So the cop was like, uh, do you want this bottle back? Oh. Like my dad, my dad got his iPod, like some other things back. And oh, man. he's like, do you want this bottle back? I was like, is it, no, where's the liquor? Yeah, that's all I want. <laughs> I want the Jack Daniels. Oh, man. Forget the rubies yeah. and the diamonds. 
So, oh man, that's yeah. No, any yeah. Take you know, though, people should take a class. Right. Situational awareness is important. You know what they say though? My security system here. Um, they're like, you can install all this. You can have the camera and everything. They're like, the most important deterrence feature of our entire system the is the sticker, sticker you put in the window or the the little thing you put in the front lawn, the little sign that says this home is protected mm-hmm. by. I'm like, we should get self defense channel stickers. People can put in their window. It's like I listen to the self defense channel. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> that's very smart. We should have brought that up. Greg you, have, that. you have to tweet him about that. You should tweet him that. Yeah, that's smart. I have a cane. Anyways, it was awesome talking today, guys. Yep. All right. Well, uh, what's coming next, Chris? Yeah. So next time we talk to you, uh, we'll be talking the Survivor Part One, going roughly halfway through the book. So looking forward to that, Mike. All right. So, as always, we have to shout out our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, Ben, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. Uh, find us at midtrappod.com or on Twitter and Instagram at midtrappod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.